0: What's good boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday the 12th of January and we are brought to you as always by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A VPN is a virtual privacy network. What a virtual privacy network does is twofold. Number one, it keeps your data protected. So when you're online, number one, you're safe from scammers. You're safe from ne'er do wells who want to steal your data. Number two, it keeps your information private from your internet service provider. Some people think that by using an incognito window that they're doing the same thing, but they're not. With a VPN, you'll keep your data safe. It means that when you're looking up, you know, when, when you realize that your guilty pleasure is actually looking at 500 pictures of Phil Jones's face, you don't want people to know about it, it'll keep that data safe for you. Second thing it does is it allows you to change your location. Now, why would you want to change your location? It's very simple. If you want to access American Netflix, the American version of Amazon Prime, HBO Max, if you want to get an NBC Gold Pass, it allows you to do all of those things. It allows you to change your location to America and access those. If you're in the UK and you want to change your location to the Republic of Ireland, you can do that. If you're in the Republic of Ireland and you want to change your location to the UK to access the BBC iPlayer, again, you can do that. So it gives you far more reach on the Internet. It takes away some of the walls that are put up by providers to stop you from accessing certain certain content that they don't want you to see unless you're in a certain country. Liberty Shield offers two services, a hardware service and a software service. If you use my code EPLVPN, you'll get 20% off at checkout. There's also a free 48-hour trial. that's well worth checking out. LibertyShield.com. Tell them I sent you. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a giftware and homeware company based in Scotland but shipping globally. They have prints. They have cushions. They have anything you want in your house, anything you want for a gift. Really good prices, really good shipping rates. They've got an exclusive partnership with Wraith Rovers and a photographer where they've got beautiful pictures of Wraith Rovers ground. Even if you're not a Wraith fan, as a football fan, they're really nice to have. So homeofhopcroft.co.uk and again, tell them I sent you. Right, moving on. A little bit of a busier show today. Apologies for yesterday. It was a little bit of a a stinker. A quiet day and uh, I don't know, I wasn't really feeling all that much, but feeling better today. So we'll jump in. We start with sad news, unfortunately. Sol Bamba, the Cardiff City defender, has been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma and is undergoing chemotherapy. Uh, Bamba is only 35, so obviously this has come as a massive shock. And I think it's safe to say the whole football community is behind him in his battle with this horrible illness. So from everybody here at EPL Index, Anfield Index, and myself and Guy, uh, we do wish the very best to Sol Bamba. On to football news. Last night, Stockport County lost to West Ham United in a very, very scrappy, close affair. Craig Dawson gets the winner for West Ham in the 83rd minute after. Stockport had really put up quite an impressive performance. Um, West Ham, look, the only thing that mattered was getting through, but I was a little bit surprised by how strong of a team they put out. Kufal played, Dawson and Ogbonna, who have been the starting uh, central defensive pairing, both played, Randolph played, he'd been in goal the last couple of games in the Premier League. No Suchek, but Declan Rice and Mark Noble were in the middle of the field. Ben Rama started, Antonio started, Anya Malenko started. So a very, very strong team for West Ham. And they really did struggle to overcome a team that was just really well up for it. A team that you could tell was really highly motivated for this game. The manager had done a very good job at getting them in the right mindset for what is going to be the biggest game of, you know, this era for that club. Um, Jim Gannon is the manager of um, Stockport, and he's done a very, very good job there in the last four years. It's his third spell in charge. He's obviously got quite a close tie to the club as well, having played there for 10 years. I think my favourite Jim Gannon story is one I heard yesterday, that he refuses to give any interviews to Sky Sports on the basis that Sky refused to fix his Skybox and dish because they were outside the warranty and he refused to pay for the repairs. Uh, That, to me, that's the type of man I want to go to war with. So fair play, Jim Gannon, and fair play to his team last night. A really good performance, and they can very much hold their heads high after that one. The FA Cup fourth and fifth round draws have been made, and there are some belting ties and then some unsurprising ties. So the fourth and fifth round have been made. How the fifth round will work out? Fulham versus Burnley, and the winner will play Bournemouth versus Crawley Town. Then you have Manchester United versus Liverpool with the winner playing West Ham or Doncaster. Sheffield United versus Plymouth versus Millwall or Bristol. Chorley or Wolves versus Southampton slash Shrewsbury. They still haven't made a decision. It's going to be Southampton. There's just no time to play that game. Or Arsenal. Barnsley versus Norwich against the winner of Chelsea and Luton Town. Everton versus Sheffield Wednesday will face the winner of Wickham against Tottenham. Swansea versus Notting- Nottingham Forest will face the winners of Cheltenham Town against Manchester City. And then the winner of Brentford Leicester will take on the winner of Brighton Blackpool. So obviously, a couple of all Premier League clashes here. Fulham Burnley been the first one. Neither team having the best of seasons, but Burnley definitely more in form at the moment, having bounced back from a dreadful start to the season. And the winner of that game, you would imagine, will feel confident going into the winner of Bournemouth against Crawley. Again, Bournemouth should feel confident of knocking out Crawley. They had a couple of divisions ahead of them in the football pyramid. The biggest tie of the the fourth round is obviously uh, Manchester United versus Liverpool. I think that game comes seven days after they meet in the Premier League. So, look, it's the toughest tie either of them could have got. It's the toughest tie anybody got. And um, I think Liverpool fans will be quite happy if they win the league game and lose the FA Cup game. United fans will want to win both, but I think they as well will prioritise the league, given where they are in the league. So that Cup game could be weird. Um, West Ham against Doncaster It's a favourable draw for for West Ham I was going to say a favourable draw for Doncaster You just never know You just never know in these things uh, Sheffield United get themselves another favourable draw Against Plymouth and it will give them a really good opportunity To get this little bit of a cup run going And then the winner faces Millwall or Bristol So there's a real chance Sheffield United Could find themselves in the 6th round of the FA Cup And that would be a huge boost to them given the season that they're having, and I want to get on to them a little bit later uh, and just highlight just how bad they've been, because I'm not sure if some people are aware of how bad they've actually been. Um, Chorley get the reward for their their upset win over Derby with a, you know, a Premier League club in Wolves. Uh, unfortunately for them, there'll be no fans of the game, so we might see something like what Marine did, where they do virtual tickets and try and get some sponsorship for that game to make up for the lost revenue. Uh, but certainly a a great reward for them. Um, And then Southampton or Shrewsbury versus Arsenal. So Southampton versus Arsenal will be a tough game. Both teams in and around the mid-table. Saints have had a better start to the season, but Arsenal are in good form at the moment, though Saints did bounce back after a bad run with a win over Liverpool. Barnsley against Norwich. Norwich are top of the championship. Barnsley have struggled for parts of the season, so you'd expect that Norwich will come through there, and everybody would expect that Chelsea will beat Luton comfortably. Everton against Sheffield Wednesday. Wednesday have found better form since sacking Tony Pulis, but Everton will be the strong favourites in that one, given they've had a very good season so far in the Premier League. Wickham against Spurs. Wickham struggling in the Championship. Spurs, top four team in the Premier League. Spurs should win that game comfortably. And then that will set up Everton against Spurs all going well, and that should be a belter of a tie Swansea against Forest, two teams that I think at the start of the season definitely had promotion ambitions. Swansea, right in the mix. Um, they're a good team. They've done a great job loaning players in and developing them. Um, really well-managed team, quite well-coached and, and pretty well-run. Um, they did lose Morgan Gibbs-White recently, which is which was a blow, but it'll be interesting to see if they add anybody else in this window. It hasn't gone well for Nottingham Forest this year. Uh, they obviously sacked Sabri, uh, Sabri LaMouche early in the season and appointed Chris Hughton. And I think the thought was, when well, he brought Norwich up, he did a great job at Newcastle. He brought uh, Brighton up and he did a great job there. And I think that's what they were expecting. And it really hasn't gone that way. Uh, you'd expect that Swansea would be the favourites in that game. Manchester City against Cheltenham. Um, I mean, I assume dog and duck rovers weren't available to fill This um, fixture City's run of Opponents in domestic cups Over the past four or five years Has been incredible Um, And this is just another example They'll get to the sixth round Without having played a team In the Premier League Uh, Brentford versus Leicester Should be a really good game Two teams to play exciting football Brentford in the mix for promotion In the Championship Leicester obviously in the mix For a top four finish in the Premier League And Brighton against Blackpool. Uh, Two seaside resorts, you know, two holiday locations. Brighton will expect to be strong favourites. But Blackpool did overcome Premier League opposition the last time when they knocked out West Brom. But Leicester-Brighton is the, the outcome you'd expect there. So the fourth round, there's a couple of really good games, a couple of questionable ones. But the fifth round looks like it'll be very, very entertaining. And that's that's what we want from the Cup. I mean, it, it's meant to be a distraction. It's meant to be entertaining. You don't want, you know, drab, dire football. You want excitement in the Cup. You get enough drab, dire football in the leagues at times. So the Cup is meant to be the escape from that. And this season, hopefully, it will be. The third round, it struggled in places, but there were some really good games. Um, We'll move on to the news that Phil Neville is to leave his role as the manager of the England women's team that had already been announced, but it was unsure as to where he would go. It appears he is going to Miami to take over into Miami owned by his friend, David Beckham, who, you know, he co-owns Salford city with and played at Manchester United with for years. Neville is 43 He became the England boss in January of 2018. His contract was set to run out and wasn't being renewed. He hadn't done a a sparkling job. Um, 35 games in charge, 19 wins, 5 draws, 11 defeats for a 54.3 win percentage. It's not spectacular. It's not what they'd hoped for when they appointed him. Um, Neville's managerial career to date is a little bit spotty. He was to take over as manager of the Great Britain team as well for the next Olympics, but for the Olympics, but obviously that was cancelled um, and moved to next year. And he's not going to be around for that. He was given that job on the basis of what he'd done with England, because nobody else was really interested in the position. But if if we consider the jobs he's had as a coach or manager in his career, um, he became a coach under David Moyes, who he'd played for for years. Then he became um, a coach at Valencia under Peter Lim, who he co-owns, again, Salford City with. Uh, Then his brother Gary took over as manager at Valencia and he became his assistant. Uh, Then he became the caretaker manager at Salford, where, again, he's the owner. He didn't even apply or interview for the England job. He was just given it, which was weird. And now he's been given a job by David Beckham. Um, It's not what you know, it's who you know. Now, I don't doubt that Phil Neville is completely dedicated to football, his whole career, his whole life, I think, has been. But he's not a particularly good manager. And he's not got any experience managing at a level like the MLS. So it's a strange move by David Beckham. I'm unsure as well as to why you would go to all the trouble of setting up a football club, signing Gonzalo Higuain, um, Blaz Matuidi, players like that, and then hiring Phil Neville as the manager. I can't think of many more uninspiring appointments than Phil Neville. I don't imagine he's going to really che- like lift that dressing room. I, I don't imagine the players of Inter-Miami, are going to be excited by the news that Phil ne- Phil Neville is on the way to manage them. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he does. I hope he does well. I, I do. But I have my doubts. He wouldn't have been my choice, certainly. But, you know, Beckham is is reaching into his little book of friends and, and you know, maybe Paul Scholes is next in line for the Inter-Miami job, but I don't know. It's Miami. It's owned by Beckham. You've got Higuain and Phil Neville's the best you can do. Really? Really? I I don't know. Not for me. Right. Moving on again. Uh, Tonight in the Premier League, Burnley will take on Manchester United. United have the opportunity to go top of the league with even a draw. United are in good form. They've won four from the last five, unbeaten in that five. Currently sit second in the league, level in points at Liverpool, but behind them on goal difference. And as I say, any result in their favour here, be it draw or win, will put them top of the league, ahead of their clash with Liverpool at the weekend. Burnley are in much better form now than they were a few weeks back. They've won three of their last five, just the one defeat in those last five. And that defeat was very, very questionable. That was that Leeds game where there was a nonsense penalty given and then they were denied a penalty or goal uh, themselves. So I think Burnley will go into this game quite confident, especially at home at Turf Moor on a Tuesday night. Especially given United didn't look great at the weekend, I think Burnley will be quite confident going into this one. Now, look, United will be very confident as well, and rightly so. They are the better team. They have the better players in terms of injuries. Burnley have um, late fitness tests for Dwight McNeil, Charlie Taylor, Jay Rodriguez, and Nick Pope. They're all expected to play. Jimmy Dunn and Kevin Long also facing fitness tests. All expected to play. But when you've got four players that are important to you, like McNeil and Taylor, that that left side that's been so good for Burnley, Jay Rodriguez, who just gives them a different look up front to the normal Wood and Barnes combination. And Nick Pope, who's been in sensational form this season. When you've got questions over four of your starters, you can never be overly confident. Even if they're declared fit, they're not going to be 100% fit. So that's a blow for Burnley. However, for United, they're in the same kind of situation. Eric Bailly uh, faces a fitness test, as do Victor Lindelof. Paul Pogba and Luke Shaw. So again, for United. Now, you could argue that either Baye or Lindelof is the starter, and that's fair. You could argue that Pogba isn't a starter because he doesn't play regularly. He's sort of in and out. They pick his games. And, you know, what Alex tell us at the club, Luke Shaw is sort of in a platoon situation there. So not as big a blow for United to have four lads again, all expected to play. Interesting that the Baye one is is classed as a neck injury when it was very clearly a head injury now i have doubts that he will be fit to play in terms of recovery from the minor concussion i think he suffered at the weekend that caused him to go off against watford If they do play him i think it would be a questionable decision but but they may Uh, marcus rojo and phil jones both ruled out through injuries neither of them would have played anyway united are looking to shift both out the door and Fecunda Palestri is ruled out with COVID. He wouldn't have played anyway. It's the young Uruguayan that they brought in in the summer who is acclimatising and apparently looking very, very impressive in training and under 23 games, though I have no idea. Um, This should be a good game. I think Deich is the type of manager who will enjoy a game against united i think he enjoys the big occasions he enjoys when the big clubs come to to turf more for Oli, united are in good form he's doing very well at the moment but it this is the type of game where united have slipped up under him and drop points games that they're expected to win now, they're normally better away from home anyway so that's in their favor but If Burnley can establish their style of play early in the game and make this a real war of attrition, it could cause United problems. Obviously, Harry Maguire is great in the air. There's no question about that. But when there's Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes up front, he can only mark one of them. And if he is assigned to go and mark Chris Wood, then Ashley Barnes becomes very, very dangerous. Burnley will live on the set piece. So they'll send up Ben Mee, they'll send up Tarkovsky, They have good delivery from the likes of Westwood and McNeil when he's in the team and Robbie Brady. So this is a dangerous game for United. It's not the walkover that it appeared to be a few weeks back when Burnley were really struggling and looked like they were going to join Sheffield United in the championship. Burnley have turned things around. uh, Four wins and three draws from their last nine games. That's very, very impressive. Given how badly they started with one win from six oh sorry one point from six games, I think I fancy United to win the game, but I don't think it will be easy. I'd say two one to United is probably a realistic um, prediction, which will send them top obviously, and they'll be delighted with that. Of course, you would be at, at any point in the season you're going to be delighted to be top. But for United to go top ahead of that game with Liverpool at the weekend that could just be a big psychological boost for them uh, especially given you know the injury issues that liverpool have the poor form that liverpool have been in united could well go into that game at the weekend in you know in top spot very very confident and at anfield as well you know they they might just fancy really stirring the pot and upsetting things um Yeah, and it would set down a marker then for that FA Cup game too. So the FA Cup game is currently scheduled for the 23rd. That might get moved because to my knowledge, Liverpool are playing on the Thursday night in the Premier League. So Liverpool play Sunday, Thursday. I doubt they'll be asked to play Saturday. So that game could well get moved to a Sunday. Um, That would leave United playing Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday. So that would be right. Liverpool will be Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday. I think that's what happens. I think that game gets moved. That's going to be the marquee game in the FA Cup round, so in all likelihood it will be a Sunday afternoon kickoff. Um, I mentioned Sheffield United, and I wanted to just focus in on just how poor they've been this season. This is not to rag on them or anything, but I just found this interesting. Historically looking at the worst teams in the history of the Premier League um, and, and whether or not there's any hope uh, for Sheffield United. So they've had the worst ever start to a Premier League season. It's the longest winless start to a Premier League season, 17 games. It beat QPR's 16-game run in 2012-2013. Now, the overall uh, worst run in Premier League history is 32 games without a win. That was Derby County in 2007-2008. So they've got a long way to go to get there. And you wouldn't expect that it will get that bad. But you never know. With the way they're playing, uh, it's 186 days since they last won a league game. Uh, their win at the weekend was their first win in what was 183 days, I think, at the time. So six months. Six months without a win. Um, the worst finishes in Premier League history, Derby, 11 points from 38 games. 708 Sunderland 05-06, uh, 15 points from 38 games, Huddersfield 2019 uh, 16 points from 38 games Aston Villa in 2016, 17 points from 38 games, Sunderland again because why be inept once when you can be inept twice, 19 points from 38 games and then Norwich last season 21 points from 38 games, now as things stand uh, Sheffield United are well on course to obliterate that record But you know, you'd expect they'll pick up Some wins along the season um, They do need Obviously they need to pick up nine points Just to tie Derby But you would hope You would, you would hope for their sake that they will find that um, As things stand as well like, where, where are the issues? The issues are they can't score and they can't defend So the issues are pretty much everywhere They've got eight goals in the Premier League This season that is a rate of 0.47 goals per game. The worst season ever in the Premier League is again Derby with 20 goals in their 38 games. Sunderland 02 03 had 21, Huddersfield 18 19 22, Norwich last season 26, and Sunderland 05 06 26. The Blades are on course to have the worst in history. They're on course for 18 goals, pushing 19 when you round up. But, you know, either way, they're on course for the worst goal-scoring season in Premier League history. Defensively, they're not anywhere close to the worst ever. Um, As things stand, they're conceding 1.7 goals a game. Over the course of the season, that works out at 64 goals. The worst we've ever seen were Swindon, who conceded 100 goals. That was in 42 games, it should be said. Uh, Ipswich Town in 94-95, 90, that was ninety three in in forty two. The worst in a thirty eight game season. Of course, it's Derby, eighty nine goals, um in in that 07, 8 I mean, what a horror season! What a horror season! Twenty goals scored, eighty nine conceded, didn't win a game for thirty two games, and finished on eleven points. Um, and you know it at that point, you're just waiting for the season to end. Fulham 2013-14 conceded 85, and Barnsley, Burnley, Barnsley in 97-98, in Burnley in 09-10, and Wolves in 11-12, all conceded 82 goals, and unsurprisingly all of those teams are relegated as Sheffield United are on course to do this season. The most lost Losses in a Premier League season is of course Derby with 29, but Sheffield United are well on track to beat that, having lost 15 times already this season with 21 games left to go. Uh, Ipswich in 94-95, 29 as well, but again, that was uh, a 42-game season. Sunderland, 29 losses in 05-06, Huddersfield twenty eight in eighteen nineteen and Norwich twenty seven last season. Villa in fifteen sixteen and Sunderland in 0-2-0-3, also twenty seven. So look they're on track to be as bad, if not worse, as any of those teams. And you know, it's January, so we're halfway through the season in two games time. Um they really do need to have any like I don't think they've got any hope of staying up. I think they're gone. I think for all intents and purposes, they're gone. I think you can see that when you watch them as well. I think they think they're gone. But for to, just to keep a bit of pride and dignity, I think they have to start finding ways to win games and pick up points because otherwise all of these records, except the goals conceded one, are going to tumble for them. And that's going to land them in, in the history books in many ways. Um... I, I really like Chris Wilder, as I've said before, but I do think maybe, just maybe, he's lost some of the players this season. Maybe the time has come for him to move on. I don't know. I wouldn't if I was them. I I definitely want to keep him. But you'd be keeping him under the you know the expectation of, we're going down, let's start building for next season. Let's start trimming away the players that aren't going to be part of our squad next season let's focus on the youth, let's get Ream Brewster in the team, Whitley-Smousset up front, let's get Younger in midfield, let's get Bogle and Lowe as the wing-backs, let's figure out what we're doing long-term. Because what's the point in continuing to play players that may not play for you next season? What's the point in sticking with the older, experienced players who, in truth, haven't helped you this season? It's far more beneficial to get Ream Brewster games when you paid twenty four point five million for him, than it is to give McGoldrick games, and I know McGoldrick's having a good season. I don't deny that, but you could probably sell him now and get some money in. Um, you could probably sell Berger even with the injury and get money in now. While you're still a Premier League club, rather than wait till the summer when you're a Championship club, because you know he's not going down with you. He won't. I I don't think he'll be like Emmy Buendia and players like that who were happy enough to go down with Norwich and wait for the move because he didn't come up with you. He hadn't played in the championship before. You bought him for £20 last summer when you were already in the Premier League. He joined a Premier League club. He didn't join a championship club. So maybe you start looking around for a deal for him. Maybe you start looking to find deals for Basham and Egan, Egan, who... At their age, I think Egan's 30, Basham's 32, going 33. They're not going to get any better. They are what they are. They're good players. And maybe in the championship you're happy to have them because they've shown they can help you get up. But if you do want to turn the squad over, maybe it's time to start moving some of those players on. Uh, we'll finish up today with some gossip. There's uh, there's a little bit today, which is good. Uh, first things first, Rob Holding has committed his future to Arsenal by signing a new long-term contract. This is an interesting development, considering he was due to go on loan in the summer uh, after Arteta deemed him surplus to requirements. But he has come back into the team. He's been a regular starter this season. And he's played in each of Arsenal's uh, last 11 Premier League games, 17 appearances overall. Holding's a solid squad player. That, you know, If he's your fourth centre-back, you're probably okay with it. But I think for Arsenal, if they want to get where they want to go, Rob Holding can't be someone who's starting for them on a regular basis. Uh, One player that does look likely to leave the Emirates is runner Alex Runnerson, the worst goalkeeper the Premier League maybe has ever seen. Uh, Although, you know, Adam Bogdan is probably up there. Uh, They look the same as well, which is interesting. Um, Arsenal are open to letting him leave on loan if they can secure a backup for Bernard Leno this is what they should have done in the summer. They really should. Like, who knows what they were doing. I know they wanted the keeper from Brentford. I wouldn't be a huge fan of him anyway. But, you know, how do you end up with Runnerson? Like, he was awful in in France. How do you end up with him? Um, other Premier League news then. Jared Bowen. Uh, he's made his 30th appearance for West Ham. And that means he gets a pay rise in the contract that he signed when he arrived. He came in on X amount with the understanding that once he hit a certain amount of appearances, it would go up. And I think he's another kicker as well when he hits a certain amount of goals as well. So that's pretty good. Uh, he's been really good for them. $22 million well spent last January. They brought in him. They brought in Suchek. It saved their season. And they've both been really good this season. must be said, David Moyes' um, recruitment since taking over, has been very, very good between those two and Kufal, and it'll be interesting to see what they do in this window and into the summer. They have been linked with Patson Dacca of Salzburg, who is a really, really talented striker. I don't see West Ham spending the type of money it would take to bring him in, but they have got a bit of cash in their pocket now, having sold um, Sebastian Haller. So maybe, maybe that's something they'd love to do, but It would mean they have to play with two strikers because you can't bring Daka in and not play him. So I have my doubts. Uh, Spurs have been linked with Nicolas Gonzalez of Stuttgart, a very, very talented player who was linked strongly to Brighton in the summer. He is close friends with Alexis McAllister. And after the two were pictured together while he was being linked, it was assumed that that was a deal that was closed. It does look like his price has gone up substantially. At the time, they were talking about a 15 million fee. Now it's claimed Stuttgart would want somewhere in the region of 25 to 30 million. Um, Tottenham are also being linked with Eder Militao of Real Madrid. He's also wanted by Roma, AC Milan and Inter Milan on loan with an option for a permanent move. He's a very good defender who's not being used by Real Madrid and would represent an upgrade for Spurs at that position. There may be movement the other way for Spurs with Valencia interested in signing Harry Winks on loan. I don't see Spurs loaning him out. I think Mourinho really likes him. I think you need to have a good backup there in case anything happens to Pierre- Pierre-Emile Heusberg, who's obviously so important to how they play. Brighton are confident they've beaten Newcastle the signing of Ecuadorian midfielder Moises Casedo from Independent Independiente Del Vallo. Um... He's meant to be very talented. I don't know much about him myself, but a couple of people that I follow on social media who are you know much more in tune with South American football than I am say that this this guy is a star. He's 19 years of age. Uh, he's already played in the Copa Libertadores. He's got four caps for Ecuador. By all accounts, he is very, very good. I wonder if he's the East Basima replacement. Basima likely to leave in the summer. And maybe this guy is the one that comes in to replace him Chelsea and Manchester United were also linked Now the Daily Mail are saying that If Brighton sign him in this window they'll loan him out I'd imagine it'll just be a loan till the end of the season Rather than a loan for a year or anything like that Um, According to Football London, Arsenal are interested in signing Yves Basima from Brighton Though it's more likely to be a summer move There's no chance that Brighton would sell him now Absolutely not uh, World Cup winning France midfielder Steven Nzonzi could have his loan at Rennes cut short with Arsenal and Everton linked with the 32-year-old Roman man. Obviously, he played for Blackburn, played for Stoke. Very, very good player, very good at what he does. Um, he's had an up-and-down career, and he's had a couple of moves that haven't really worked out exactly as he would have wanted. There's been rumours that he may have a bit of an attitude problem, but Um, He was at Sevilla, did really well there, earned the move to Roma. And for some reason, it just didn't work out. He went on loan to Galatasaray. It didn't work. And he has been good for Ren this season. So I'm not sure why that deal would get cut short unless either he wants out or the club have just had enough of him. But um, he'd be a good signing for a couple of Premier League teams. For Arsenal, for example, he would be a good signing because you could get him in the team now next to... Thomas Partey, that gives you that holding midfielder, allows you to you know, let Partey play his normal role. And then if you bring in a Basima or whoever in the summer, it's just a seamless transition and Partey's not having to switch be- between positions and do two jobs at once. Um, Lyon's French striker, Moussa Dembele, is closing in on a move with Atletico Madrid after previously turning down the chance of a move to West Ham. He is joining on a loan with an option to buy for just under £30 It's a great deal for Atletico Madrid. He's obviously a former uh, former Celtic striker. I think he was at Fulham as well. He came through the Fulham Academy, if I'm not mistaken. Um, He was linked with a number of Premier League teams a couple of years ago. Uh, Yeah, he spent a year in the Fulham Academy, having actually been at the PSG Academy for years. Uh, Played three years with Fulham and then went to Celtic where he was very, very good under Brendan Rodgers, and then went to Lyon, where he has done really well, but Lyon are just in a weird position. No Champions League football. The collapse of the TV deal in France means that all the clubs are now under serious pressure, and he maybe is just the one that they've decided to move on. But a great deal for Atletico to get him in. Him and Joe Felix should be a lot of fun together. Arsenal are no longer chasing the signing of Emi Buendia after Norwich put a 40 million price tag on the Argentine. 40 million for Emi Buendia is mental money, especially given he's playing in the championship at the moment. Um I understand what Norwich are doing. They're trying to keep hold of their best players or get maximum value, but forty million is not value for Emi Buendia, it's obscene. And they could well find themselves in a position like Bournemouth did where you hold on to the players for too long and their value will dip because they either get injured, their contract will run down, they'll run out of form. And, you know, I mean, Bournemouth, they turned down 40 million for Callum Wilson. They ended up taking under 20. They turned down 15 million for um, Ryan Fraser. They got nothing for him. They turned down 25 million for Josh King. They'd be lucky to get 10 million from now. Uh, with six months left in his contract. So while I understand that you want to get the most out of your players, the, the most value for them, you do have to look at the longer term as well. And if you continue to price players out of moves, number one, you'll find players won't want to join your club anymore. You will find that players will be warned off by their agents because once they go in, they may not get back out. I mean, we've already seen hassle there with, with Todd Cantwell. We saw it with Jamal Lewis in the summer. It's a dangerous game that Norwich are playing. I hope it works out for them, but they should just be a little bit wary there. Um, Chelsea midfielder Temu Bakayoko is set for a permanent move away from Stamford Bridge as he continues to impress on loan at Napoli. He's a very good player. I don't really know why it didn't work out from at Chelsea. Well, I do really know. it. They tried to play him and Kante together. Both of them need that sitting holding presence when Bakayoko made his big breakthrough at, at Monaco. It was next to Fabinho. When Kante came to... ...and played for Leicester, he played next to Danny Drinkwater, who's not a great player, but very good at that sitting role. And then obviously he went to Chelsea. They tried to use him as a holding midfielder. It didn't work at all. It was a disaster. Next thing, they put Nemanja Matic next to him, and then they went and ran away with the league. So um, those two just weren't compatible, and unfortunately for Bakayoko, it was him that, that got gate. Now, with him being four years or almost five years younger than Kante, you'd wonder if they made the right decision. Kante's obviously a better player. But now, and over the next two to three years, I don't know if Kante will be the better player. Um, Dutch defender Jethro Williams appears to have teased a return to Newcastle from Eintracht Frankfurt. It comes after the 26-year-old has been strongly linked to another spell on Tyneside. He obviously did quite well there before he injured his knee. He's a very talented attacking left-back not the best defensively, but he can add a different kind of option to their team. They have Jamal Lewis and they have Matt Ritchie who plays there. Ritchie's past his best and maybe they'd look to move Ritchie out and bring Williams in and then you have a more defensive option in Lewis, who's good going forward, but not great, and then a a very good attacking option in Williams. Um, Whether that works for Steve Bruce, I don't know. I don't know that the idea of you know, multiple attacking fullbacks is really something he's going to do. And he's got DeAndre Yedlin playing right back. And sometimes Murphy plays right back. And, and Murphy's a winger converted. And Yedlin is a 100-meter sprinter who has no real idea what he's doing on a football field. Uh, Leeds United have been linked with Sampdoria's in-demand Norwegian defender, Frederick, on- Frederick Andre Bjorken. Uh, he's meant to be very good. Now, the last um, Scandinavian centre-back to do well at Sampdoria, Sampdoria. Uh, is Joachim Anderson, who currently plays for Fulham. Sampdori have a habit of finding talented young defenders and developing them, and it's probably what they do at the moment because you know life in mid-table can get boring otherwise. Um, they do have another very good centre-back there in Omar Colley, who was linked with a couple of Premier League clubs in the summer. And that pair apparently have been quite good for them this season, They've got a couple of other Norwegians there um Christopher Askelton is meant to be very very talented, but I have to say I haven't seen a whole lot of them. Burnley are set to make a move for everton's twenty three year old John Joe Kenny, having previously missed out on bringing the England under twenty one international to turf more. I don't know a whole bunch about what's going on at Everton in terms of, you know, of Kenny, but he was at Chalka last season on loan. Did quite well while they were doing quite well. And then when the team fell apart, his season kind of went the same way. He had a couple of injuries. He's had one or two little niggles this season, but I mean, Everton don't have a long-term solution at right back. And you would have thought he would have gotten an opportunity at least, to stake a claim for that position. But he he doesn't really seem to fit into their plans for whatever reason. Uh, Burnley definitely need to get younger at at right-back. I mean, Bardsley is 35, 36. I think Loughton's 31. So uh, a young right-back is exactly what Burnley could do with. Look, Kenny's a good player, capable player, and under Dyche, he will no doubt improve because Sean Dyche improves every player he gets his hands on. Uh, Juventus are in talks with Sassuolo about a move for 22-year-old Italian striker Gianluca Scamacca, who is currently on loan at Genoa. They've also signed a young Italian midfielder whose name escapes me from Genoa. So Juve making moves in the market. Don't know a whole lot about that striker either, to be totally honest with you. And uh, RB Leipzig's French international Dale Upamecano is wanted by Bayern Munich, with the Bundesliga side joining Chelsea and Manchester United in their pursuit of the defender you can add Liverpool's name to that you can probably add Arsenal's name to that every top club wants Upa Upamecano he has a buyout of 42 million euro which is what about 37 million pounds which for a player of his quality and his age is a bargain when you consider you know just consider the fact that city paid 63 million for Ruben Diaz who's not as highly rated as Upamecano very very good and I thought it was a great signing, but, you know, when you're talking about 25 million less for a player who could be better or at the very worst as good, it does kind of show how undervalued he will be in the summer and whoever gets him will do very, very well. Stoke looked to have won the race for Charlton Athletic midfielder Alfie Doty from uh, Bournemouth and QPR. It's such a shame to see Charlton continuing to have to sell their best young players. Um, they've obviously had some really good young players over the last six, seven years. Joe Gomez, Ezri Konza, Nick Pope was there. Um, Adam Ola Luckman was there. Carolyn Grant was there. They were all there at the, at the same time. Those five were there at the same time. And, I mean, Pope's worth about 40 million now, 40, 50 million maybe. Kanza's easily in the 40 to 50 million range. Gomez was easily 50 million before the knee injury. Now, uh, who knows? But, you know, if you say he was 50 million before the injury, um, Carlin Grant's a 20 million striker. I think Adam Ola Luckman's a 20 million player. There's the guts of 200 million of talent there. And I think Charlton got about 6 million for the group. I could be wrong, it could have been a bit higher. No, it was higher, sorry, it was higher because Luckman was like 7 million, wasn't he? But, oh, there was 20, do you know what it was? It was 20 million. They got 20, as I remember Luckman's before, they got 20 million for the six of them. So they got about one-tenth of what they turned out to be worth. Uh, Those players, those five, could have brought um, Charlton back to the Premier League and yet they were all sold off very, very cheaply by the previous owners. And it now looks like the new owners are trying to play catch-up and having to sell off young players again. Finally, um, Premier League sides Everton, Leicester and Wolves have registered their interest in Middlesbrough's England Youth International winger Marcus Trevannier, who's a very talented player. I always wonder about registering interest. I mean, what do you do? Do you like do you sign a book? Do you send them an official email? Do you drop them a text? Uh, who knows? Who knows how you do that? But he's a very talented player, Um that right-hand side of him and Jed Spence tends to be the uh, the most entertaining part of Neil Warnock's team, and um, I think he's probably better off staying where he is. I don't think he starts for any of those three clubs. If it was Palace or somebody or or Burnley, I I think it would be a better move for him than any of those three. Where I mean Everton and Leicester have. Champions League ambitions, I think Wolves probably do as well, but the Europa League is probably their aim for this season I don't think he's quite at that level yet but certainly a, certainly a good young player who uh, who will do well in the Premier League at a certain point, point. and that is it, that is our show for today, thank you as always for listening, thank you to Guy Drinkle, thank you to Foxhaunt for the presenting music, thank you to EPLindex.com, check out all the writing on EPLindex.com. Check out the Tad Predictable podcast coming later this week. Check out the EPL Roundtable with my good friend Kevin DeVries. Uh, I will see you tomorrow. Take care and bye-bye. Podcast Network.